What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Uncle Rockstar is a core contributor to BTC PayServer and the VP of Engineering at Strike. In this conversation, we talk about everything from the cypherpunks to Bitcoin to development in a decentralized environment. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I first want to talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by BlockFi. BlockFi provides financial products for crypto investors. Those products include the BlockFi wallet, a US dollar loan collateralized by your crypto, and a no-fee trading product. BlockFi also released the world's first crypto rewards credit card. It's a Visa credit card that gives you crypto back as your rewards instead of cash back or airline miles. They recently introduced Rewards Flex, so customers choose which crypto assets they receive from their credit card rewards from the BlockFi Rewards credit card. For people in the U.S. who own or are interested in owning crypto or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn more crypto because you earn 1.5% back in crypto on every single purchase and you have no annual fee. I'm an investor in the business and a very, very happy user. The BlockFi Rewards credit card is the easiest way to earn crypto. For a limited time, when you sign up using my link, blockfi.com slash pompcc, you will get $75 back in crypto on your first swipe. Use your everyday spending to diversify your crypto portfolio. I've got the credit card. I love it. And I think you will too. Head on over to blockfi.com slash pompcc today. Today's episode is brought to you by Brave. Brave Wallet is the first secure crypto wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. What's Web3? Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. Most wallets are browser extensions, a Web2 technology. That means the same old risks, app spoofing, phishing scams, and theft. Brave Wallet is different. Brave Wallet is the first secure wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. No extension required. With Brave Wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap assets, manage NFTs, even connect other wallets and dApps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions. It's time to switch to Brave Wallet. Download Brave at brave.com slash pomp and click the wallet icon to get started. Again, go download Brave at brave.com slash pomp and click the wallet icon to get started. Today's episode is sponsored by Abra. They're based in California and they're backed by top VC firms. Abra is an all-in-one, simple, secure app that allows you to trade over 110 cryptocurrencies, get 0% interest loans using your crypto as collateral, and earn interest with up to 13% APY on stablecoins and 7.15% APY on Bitcoin. You can join nearly 2 million users by downloading Abra from the Google Play or Apple App Store. If you download the app today, you will get $15 in free crypto once you fund your account. You came, you invested, now conquer. Abra, conquer crypto. Go check it out today. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, Pomp. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, Let's just jump right in. I think that this idea of open source software is so integral to Bitcoin and so many people don't understand why open source software is important. Uh, 
can you help us understand from more of like a cypherpunk standpoint the uh, the essential aspects of open source software? Sure. I mean, but we're really starting with hard questions right away. I was hoping, especially, man, like hearing Jacob, I even wanted to trade in my time to like hear him more and you know about the whole pomp brothers how to catch lizards i mean it's easy for you you have two brothers so that sideways is easier but yeah when an 11 year old can teach you things like how to catch a lizard then you just got to uh, sit back and listen hey and then paulina is also jumping in and you have four day work week um yeah easy for you and me man really like you and me are are on four hour work week but let's uh let's let's keep with like work hard um as for open source software why it's so important it's because we wouldn't have bitcoin if it wasn't for open source because um the only way you can um come up with such complex system is to build on top of each other's work. And really Satoshi was building on a work of other people like Adam back. Um, so uh, really when it comes to cypherpunks and what they understood, they understood that uh, in digital age and in information age, uh, privacy is important to um, keep the system going. And uh, as complexity of the world arises like we need more robust more scalable systems that um, can facilitate further development and i'm telling you closed source will only get us so far i mean you look at the fact that uh, you know what happened with uh, operating systems uh, linux is the most used system not because i don't know there are some other factors in play but because um, because simply it's open source it allowed the people all around, all around the world to collaborate and uh, get ahead of microsoft windows which was closed source so when you think about this open source software cypherpunks have been working on uh, variations of open source software of various uh, technical innovations and inventions uh, for decades now Talk to us about that movement and kind of what the importance of it has been to computing in general, but then also the creation of Bitcoin in 2008, 2009. Well, it's all about that early realization cypherpunks had is that we need to utilize technology to preserve individual freedom and not only preserve it, like uh, improve individual freedom, because, um, if we go in the direction of centralized systems and systems controlled by big entities, whether they're governments or big corporations like those faceless entities, we will eventually lose all, all our rights because those big systems will continue being threatened by, uh, you know, oh, this individual can do this, this individual can do that. So let's make sure they don't have power to do it. And that's just not the... Uh, not the future I or I assume you want to live in. I mean, the cypherpunk is a play of a cypher and cyberpunk and cyberpunk is well known. It's like high technology, low quality of life. So really to me, it's it's one of the most important movements in the last, what is now like four decades. And uh, we'll, we'll just keep keep pushing, keep fighting, keep producing technology like Bitcoin that will further um, you know, fortify individual rights and expand them because the more power you give to individual, to, to you know, uh, humans, you will be able to really 
leverage that human ingenuity and, and make great things happen. So when you think about uh, the cypherpunk movement, what are some of the lessons that we've learned along the way? Obviously, open source software and the importance of it is a key one. What, what else would you say are uh, key lessons uh, from the movement? Well, I, I would question if we as a society have learned <laughs> much because uh, as individuals, I, I I think when you look back at Cypherpunk's manifesto that you can read from um, 1992, you will see how correct it was. I mean, it's just erosion of individual rights. I mean, and I mean, you, you still have it. You still have this uh, push like government is becoming bigger and bigger. Like as immigrant to U.S., that's one of the things that I've been observing is like U.S. has been so successful because uh, politicians uh, could and, and government could never catch up. Like economy was growing faster than a big, you know, Washington political apparatus was like the, the rate of growth of economy was higher than the rate of growth of government. But that's actually like changing so it is really important that uh, we uh, we continue pushing this technology that empowers individuals to ensure that we do not end up in this uh, big government 100% regulated situation because they pretend they have answers i mean they don't and um, i mean we we saw also with some of the politicians first embracing bitcoin then rug pulling us uh, so, yeah, I, I hope we change that with technology. And then seeing lately the push with uh, you yesterday, you had Bruce Fenton, my fellow cypherpunk. It's great to see him running full support. And then um, Cynthia Loomis, a senator, the bill that she is uh, proposed is amazing. So, yeah, let's let's keep pushing. Let's keep adding to that light of individual freedom. When we think about uh, the cypherpunk movement, uh, there's, I think, a thought process of like, this is a thing of the past. It's a movement that uh, was really embodied by people who have uh, grown older, uh, unfortunately, a couple of people who have passed away. Um, talk to me about, is the cypherpunk movement alive and well today? And, and what is kind of the current state of it? How can somebody start to participate? Like, like what is kind of the, the here and now of that movement? Well, I would argue that cypherpunk movement is stronger than ever. Uh, it's really like the, the people that you mentioned that were active in 1990s. I, I really break it down as a three phases of uh, three phases of um, cypherpunk movement. Like most of the cypherpunks of 90s were very defensive and they were focused on really introducing cryptography into everyday life and, and fighting that good fight where uh, cryptography was classified as a uh, munition. So it was like export of cryptography was, was restricted. Like that victory was resounding. We use cryptography now daily without any kind of trouble. Um, so, so yeah, that fight was won. But then you, uh, you had the, the second phase of the movement more in like 2000s up to middle of 2010s with cypherpunks that were way more offensive. And that's the group where you, you can look at the people like Julian Assange and uh, Edward Snowden, who were really using uh, cryptography and, and teachings of cypherpunks in an offensive way. They were like disseminating information to show, yeah, the simply 
the bad things that government does. And finally, like this third phase where I also see my my participation in is like really we're taking the best of both defense and offense and applying it into everyday life through technologies like Bitcoin. So yeah, that's, that's a reason why I am on this show as well. Like it's not only about us who are currently in the movement. Um, it's about inspiring other people, people and, you know, younger generation like Jacob to join us, you know, shadowy super coders and, do the good work uh, because when it comes to that, you know the saying "cypherpunks write code," right? Yes, I do know that. Yeah, so I, I think that one is is unfortunate saying because to me, really, cypherpunks control information, and I would really call you Palm Cypherpunk because the way like you control and distribute information is amazing. Like this show, you're streaming it, you're impacting people, not only like in US or like you're impacting people all around the world. And for cypherpunks, it's all about how can we structure and control information in such a way that we produce the most positive outcomes, that we can produce systems that process the optimum amount of information without breaking down. When you think about uh, how somebody can transition to writing open source code or participating in these movements, uh, talk to me about career development and like, like what are the ways that people who are uh, listening or watching this uh, can get involved? Well, there are so many ways. And uh, again, when we're talking about disappearance, I, uh, I loved it because it's all about inspiring other people to join. Thanks to the power of internet, thanks to the power of open source, you don't now need to be, you know, engineer in Silicon Valley in order to work for hot startups anymore. You can really be not only in any part of US, you can be in any part of the world. And it's all about connecting with people. I mean, how would guy like you and guy like me connect uh, if it weren't for Bitcoin, first of all? So, um, when it comes to career development and how to use open source for that, it's just find the project that really speaks to you, like a project that you use daily in your life and see how you can improve it. I, uh, I mean, I'm biased because I'm part of BTZ pay server, but I invite anyone that wants to, you know, join great open source project to go to btcpayserver.org or find us on Twitter, uh, you know, just join the community and say, Hey, I am good at this. I want to help. And you know, that's, that's the easiest way in. And if it's not BTC pay server, just find some other project you're, you know, on GitHub that you're interested in. Tell everyone about a BTC pay server. Like what is it and why is it so important? Well, BTC pay server is one of the most active open source projects built on top of Bitcoin. And it's, um, really, uh, it's not really only a payment processor. It's like platform uh, on top of which you can, it's like WordPress of Bitcoin. Um, it really started as, um, a response to what BitPay was doing when it was deciding during Segwit2x drama uh, on which chain they will uh, switch their merchants and Nicholas Dorier, Emperor Nicholas, was having none of it. So he coded a plug-and-play replacement for BitPay's API, named it BTC Pay Server, and really allowed merchants to bring up 
this instance of BTC Pay server, bring up instance of Bitcoin Core node, and be uh, really uh, self-reliant, self-hosted, sovereign, and uh, validate their Bitcoin transactions for themselves. For for themselves, and this is what Bitcoin is all about. Like when you're running Bitcoin uh, Core node. You are the one deciding what consensus rules you believe in, and you're validating um, Bitcoin that you're receiving, that that Bitcoin complies with the consensus rules you believe in. And BTC Pay Server is really um, all-in-one solution that allows merchants to do this super easy and you know run their own shops, validate their Bitcoin, send their Bitcoin do commerce uh, without depending on any trusted third party. When you start to think about uh, people who are engineers, uh, what is the path that they can take to get involved? Whether it's through open source software, should they start there and start building and contributing and then eventually uh, move into the space full-time, either through grants or or kind of full-time employment? Or or what is the suggestion when you talk to young engineers? Well, when it comes to young engineers, they're really like, to use the pop- popular term nowadays, like a privileged. Like if you're a great engineer, you have so much choice. And um, it's it's all about making sure that you stay on a project that, like you involve yourself with a project that, that really motivates you and keeps you going so that you don't need to look if it's four-hour work week or it's a four-day work week. It's like, you're working on a project and you're not stopping because it's so inspiring. And that's really what I saw in strike. Like we were so lucky to have, um, that we have a a leader and founder like Jack that inspires engineers to join us all around the world. Um, but that's, that's my biggest advice for young engineers. If you're a good young engineer, just find the project that speaks to you and stick with it. And when it no longer you know, speaks to you, find another project. You're great. It's more for people that are looking into like learning to code or they're non-engineers. And um, yeah, learning to code, that one is very simple. It's like, give it a try for a year and really focus on building easy stuff that solves your everyday problems. And and find the group where you, where there are other developers you can look, look up to. I mean, you know, if, if you like my work, let me know. I mean, maybe maybe I can help you out with reviewing your code, especially if you join BTC Pay server. And then the important thing is also uh, not to get discouraged if after a year or two, really programming and engineering is not your thing. Like there are so many ways to contribute. Um, you just need to figure out like what is your superpower and. Um, that's when I'm, where I'm curious when it comes to you, Pomp. Like if I ask you, what is your superpower? What would you say? I just don't stop. That's it. Whatever I want to do, I just keep going. And I think that most people, they end up uh, taking their foot off the gas. Uh, and they do it for one of two reasons. Either they start something and uh, as they get going, uh, they get frustrated. It's uh, kind of the depths of despair and they give up and they walk away. Uh, and that could be building a company that could be, you know, investing, that could be uh, doing content on the internet, wh- whatever the thing is, uh, they give up early on. Uh, or the second thing, and actually probably the more dangerous thing, is as they start to see success, they uh, fool themselves and they let off off the gas and they think they can kind of coast at that point. But if you uh, if you think about it, 
uh, whether it's sports, whether it's the highest levels of business, uh, whatever, uh, the best in the world at something, they basically never take their foot off the gas. And if anything, uh, they become more obsessed the further that they get. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things I see is, uh, and a bunch of different things I do, uh, there's a lot of people who either just quit in the beginning or, uh, or, or they start to coast once they think that, uh, you know, they've quote unquote made it or, or had any level of success. So yeah, it's like tenacity, right? Yeah. It's like intensity. I, yeah, I, I would confirm it. I mean, I, I, you know, the whole discussion about, uh, Bitcoin community, who is Bitcoin or who is shit coiner, right? Um, I always like tell people how it's about proof of work. It's about how much contribution you have, uh, how much you have contributed to the success of Bitcoin. And I don't see you as much on CNBC lately, but I'm telling you like some of your, uh, some of your interviews on CNBC, man, like, thank you so much for doing that. It's just (laughs) pushing forward the Bitcoin and then dumping on people who are like, oh, Bitcoin is evil. Yeah, look, it, it, it's a, there's a time and a place for everything, right? And like, frankly, um, back in 2018 or, or whatever, when I first started doing it, uh, there was a little bit of, I probably was the, uh, the whipping boy. Like I was the one who was dumb and naive enough to go on there, prices falling and they keep yelling and you know, like, let's do it again, right? And there was a lot of folks who uh, frankly had been in the industry longer than I had. Uh, who they probably weren't as excited about going on, right? It's like, oh, what, they only want me to go on when the price is down. Um, but over time, I think what you realize is like uh, just hearing me over and over and over again uh, only does us so much good. Like it's actually uh, important that we can get more people on there. And I've you know introduced them to a ton of people uh, in the community and said, hey, you should bring these people on. These people have a message. Um, some of them, you know, uh, are uh, coming at it from a different experience. Some of them have uh, unique insights. Some of them, uh, um, you know, are able to present it differently, wh- whatever it is. But like, we need as many people as possible uh, in the mainstream media uh, sharing the talking points because, in some way, um, you know, you have to fight the FUD and, and uh, kind of the negative comments, uh, not with uh, kind of bombastic uh, punches back. I don't think it, you know, when somebody slings mud, slinging mud back doesn't do much. It's just a mud fight and, you know, what's the, the saying, uh, uh, never argue with a fool because someone from far away can't tell who's who. Uh, instead, I think that we've got uh, a number of people in the Bitcoin community who are able to go on and present uh, very factual information, uh, deliver it with confidence uh, and inform people. And the beauty of uh, Bitcoin is that Bitcoin has one advantage over all of the critics. It's that Bitcoin has truth on its side. And if you simply state what Bitcoin is doing, what are the data points? It's a transparent system that no one owns, that no one controls. Uh, And so that transparency ends up being the best uh, disinfectant when it comes to uh, legacy system uh, or many market participants. And I think that, you know, one of the things that uh, cracks me up is uh, usually the people who act in a zero-sum way, those are the people to be the most uh, nervous around. And if you go throughout the Bitcoin community, the people who have had very long careers in this industry, uh, they're very positive sum. They're here to help other people. They want to see other people be successful. Um, and you know, th- there's this belief that as long as Bitcoin succeeds, we're all going to succeed. 
but there are, you know, plenty of new people who show up and they have very much kind of that, you know, zero sum mindset and, and they attack people and they do all this stuff. And over time, I think you just learn, Hey, that those people will eventually get on board, right? That they'll figure out kind of what the, uh, what, what the cultural, um, you know, kind of right way to act is. And it's very much a positive sum. We can lift everyone up and we can build something that uh, ends up impacting billions of people, which is the reason why we're all here. Yeah. And it is about that, like not slinging mud back, especially like someone like you who is in position of, uh, of power. I mean, um, that's also what I try to tell all the people, all the people I interact with in Bitcoin community. At the end of the day, it's all about proof of work. You can't keep people a, a, an expectation that the trash and waste will be at zero percent. As long as trash and waste is is a minority, it's like twenty percent, thirty percent. I mean, someone is really super successful, and it's about that. Us as a community using our differences towards the strength. I mean, I just look at people you had yesterday with Dylan, our rising star in Bitcoin, yeah, with his charts and then Bruce and then Nick. Amazing. Yeah. People. And then even I'm telling you, even people that are on Twitter and they're toxic and uh, doing all the yelling at other people, I appreciate them as well, as long as their impact is, is towards pushing Bitcoin forward and focusing really on Richard hearts of the world that are rug pulling. But yeah, we got Richard out of Bitcoin. That's what matters. The the other thing that I would say um, is you recently went to the Oslo Freedom Forum. And what's unique in that is uh, the Human Rights Foundation uh, has a, a very big part of, uh, of setting that up. Talk to me about Bitcoin's role in you know, Oslo Freedom Forum, human rights, and, and kind of the global audience. Oh, man, it, it was amazing. It was truly amazing. And I'm uh, so thankful to have someone like Alex Gladstein in my life and having him as my mastermind partner. We have such a, such interesting sessions. But um, here is a great story, actually. Uh, Gary Kasparov, like famous uh, uh, chess player. I mean, he was the, the best chess player in the history, still is until Magnus finishes his career. But Gary was talking about how Alex Gladstein, he really identified Bitcoin early on, and he was coming uh, to HRF and trying to explain within HRF how Bitcoin is so useful um, for all the like hum humanitarian purposes. And <laughs> Gary is saying like, we would listen to him and then we would laugh, you know, laugh our asses off. Essentially. Uh, he was telling this story to me and a bunch of other Bitcoiners I, I brought into the circle. And, uh, yeah, we would be like, Alex, I mean, Bitcoin, come on. Like, what are you talking about? Well, as you said, yeah, they were calling you on CNBC, uh, two years ago, three years ago, it's like price was falling and people would be like laughing at you. Same thing with Alex. Well, nobody, nobody's laughing now, man. It's like the influence of Bitcoiners, like people see that we, we have this track record of being right. We are on, on the right path. And um, you saw that Gary even signed that um, a letter. There were 21 human rights activists. They take the, took aim at all those like privileged critics in, in Congress and explained how uh, Bitcoin is, is force for good, way more than it's supposed like force for evil with all the boiling oceans and mining FUD. Um, so I think it's all about that. It's all about continuing to spread the message to show, uh, continuing to show uh, utility of Bitcoin, which is something that I did at, at uh, 
my workshop, I highlighted all the all the usages of BTC Pay Server for crowdfunding. Uh, you had a feminist coalition in Nigeria for anyone that wants to research after this talk, like just look up um, uh, and SARS campaign in Nigeria. BTC Pay Server was used uh, to crowdfund to raise funds after their own government, Nigerian government, like blocked traditional banking account banking accounts for for them. So yeah, I I'm excited. I'm excited for all the good that Bitcoin will keep doing when it comes to human rights, and it's all about that. Keep expanding our individual rights and uh, pushing forward. Is there one thing that you would point to? That's like the most important problem now that people should focus their energy on or pay more attention to? Not really. I mean, I I would really, uh, anyone that's not into Bitcoin, obviously our priority number one is to get into Bitcoin, mm -hmm. to look at the movement and see who is the person from the Bitcoin movement that speaks to you the most. I mean, if it's Pomp, then uh, find, yeah, read more of his stuff, uh, uh, look at his seminars, like uh, look at his content, dig deeper, find another person. I, people that I uh, want to, I particularly enjoy consuming their content are uh, Parker Lewis, Mayor, pa Mayor Parker Lewis. Uh, their Gigi Adele has great content. So uh, just find your entrance into Bitcoin. And then once you're in Bitcoin, just listen to uh, listen to yourself listen to the inner voice like how can you best contribute to the bitcoin i knew for the longest time that i should be using my coding skills for good of the bitcoin but i was too busy arguing with trolls on bitcoin talk and reddit so i wasted a bunch of time but once i started listening to that inner voice and started contributing to the code i helped nicholas build btc pay server i helped jack build up strike so it's individual. Each one of us has our own superpower and we just need to stay in our lane, focus on what we are good at and support fellow Bitcoiners. And, you know, if, if they start getting out of their lane or start struggling, we, you know, look to them, support them the best we can and keep going forward. I, uh, I love it. Where can we send people to learn more about BTC pay server strike or, uh, or find you on the internet? Well, you just go with uh, Rockstar and I am number one Rockstar on Twitter. So yeah, Uncle Rockstar. And uh, from there, you can jump onto uh, Twitter, BTC Pay Server. Yeah. And then you have the link to Strike as well. You have link to Telegram. Reach out. Let's make a shadowy super coder out of you as well. And yeah, let's, let's do this together. My friend. I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you so much for all the hard work, both on the open source software, the hard work at Strike, uh, pushing forward the conversation. Uh, and uh, everyone also is complimentary of your amazing uh, thumbnail and, uh, and background here, which I know that uh, didn't exactly take, uh, t take a little bit of time. So uh, thank you for coming on, Uncle Rockstar, and we'll definitely have to have you come back at some point. Thank you for having me. Get more digital identities, man. Like not all the doxed people will need them once they start hunting down as Bitcoiners. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. 
We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.